It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. I am your host, uh, K.P. Burke. Uh, the K.P. stands for Kevin Patrick, and uh, the man in front of me is my father, Lawrence Patrick Burke. <laughs> How are you today, sir? Very well, thank you much. Thank you. You we're much. back down, uh, you know where we are, we're down at a shared universe studio here in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming taking great care of us as always. And our boy is back behind the ones and twos where he belongs. Big Cahoon is in the building. What's going on? There he is, he's solid. As someone has pointed out, I am an avid listener of the American <laughs> Losers podcast. I get it first, motherfucker. You hear that, John August? <laughs> so, no, but we're back over here. I mean, we got a good one today. Uh, we're going to cover uh, this guy. It's on the show, what we do sometimes is we go into somebody who's a loser, and um, then you find a bigger loser while you're searching for the loser within the loser. So, this is almost like a uh, game of inception, but with losers. So. <laughs> The guy we're going to be covering today, uh, I mean, when you have a rivalry with somebody, okay, it's not good. It's not an even rivalry if the person you're in the rivalry with is way more famous than you. He's a constant – he's the constant winner. Right. Or like at least comes out – not necessarily a winner, but comes out on top. That's like supersedes you. A, that's like anyone who's a rival of Ted Roosevelt. You just you, – Don't you, fuck well, with yeah, TR. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's game over right from the get-go. But. Well, uh, speaking of TR, who was a pugilist, I always think back to this, is that there is um, – there are people out there that beat Mike Tyson. But can you name them all? I don't know one person. Not really. Right? <laughs> right, so that's why it's a, a bad rivalry on that end because uh, he completely – I mean it's Tyson. That was He was bigger than boxing. But uh, I always think back to – People don't like to think about this one, but Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time, uh, but the only team that was ever able to knock him off in the playoffs and kind of mess him around early on in his career was the Detroit Pistons. But so it took a team of guys to overcome Yeah. We don't <laughs> talk about the Pistons the way we talk about Michael Jordan. Right. right? In the same way that uh, one of the uh, – possibly, depending on how you want to rank him, the greatest quarterback of all time, the San Francisco 49ers, Joe Montana, um, he is going to be infinitely more famous than uh, our boy, all right, Lawrence Taylor, the greatest linebacker who ever played the position. But those 90s, the late 80s, early 90s um, Giants-Niners uh, games were bloodbaths, man. But the point is it's not a good rivalry when your rival is a million times more famous than you are. <laughs> and that is why today's loser is one of the few men to ever pose a threat to Al Capone's control over the city of Chicago, George Bugs Moran. Have you ever heard of this guy, Kahuna? I can't say that I have. Actually. Oh, he gets interesting quick, man. It's uh, George Bugs Moran. He was born Adelard Kunin, all right, in St. Paul, Minnesota. How was that again, Kev? Adelard Kunin, so Adelard. <laughs> <laughs> Already you're putting on the attitude there. It's oh, like yeah. Target instead of Target, or you're adding a French touch there? Well, actually, in uh, I believe in um, French-speaking Canada, it is illegal to speak French without a French accent. So oh, good luck to you. If I introduced him as, ah, as my buddy Adelard Coonan, they'd have a problem with that. He has to be Adelard Coonan. Right? Adelard Coonan. And he's from St. Paul, Minnesota, which actually had a, a, a large uh, French population out there. Um, also, uh, he was the son of French immigrants from Alsace-Lorraine, okay, which is a disputed territory. Right. That's between... a disputed territory. For, historically, for years, uh, Alsace-Lorraine is a, is a territory, a section between France and Germany. And many wars have been fought over the who rightfully owns the Alsace-Lorraine territory. And depending on one of the most famous people of all time, uh, Charlemagne, yeah, depending on who you talk to, uh, the Germans will say, oh, Charlemagne was a German. And the French will say, no, he was a Frank. Right. He was French. So, uh, but that territory is also disputed between those two countries of Germany and France. And uh, the uh, immigrant uh, father came from Alsace-Lorraine. And then the uh, mother was from uh, Quebec. All right. She was actually going to be a French-Canadian. And uh, they had a, uh, their boy Adelard, all right, <laughs> who uh, hid his heritage and pretended to be Irish in order to fit in with his juvenile gang buddies 
at his private Catholic high school because the, his parents were French Catholics. So it was very important to them that their son had a parochial education so he doesn't end up like a gangster or anything. Yeah, good, good <laughs> Catholic upbringing. But uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because people talk about cultural appropriation. But uh, if you're a French person who's going to pretend or put on the airs that you're Irish because it's, the Irish are having an easier time uh, in America, I guess, uh, in, in some regards, or uh, they were more accepting. It's well, it's kinda, just more of them, I guess, in his neighborhood. That's, the, I was gonna say, <laughs> that's 90% of it right there. But uh, you and I were talking earlier that uh, sometimes uh, around this time frame and in the history of American boxing – there was a lot of Jewish fighters that would take on a Irish last name in order to try to, uh, uh, I guess, be a bigger box office draw, right? Sure. I know also, also to avoid – well, it just – it would also avoid some of the anti-Semitic feelings that were that were held by that, that if you were an Irish boxer, well, then you're going to have a, a bigger box office draw, that there's, there's some of your cronies, if you will, some of your uh, – Brethren from the old side that would be rooting for you, as opposed to, uh, you know, if you took on a, a, your, your rightful Jewish uh, heritage, that uh, not so many uh, of them to be the box office drawer. And uh, again, the uh, the uh, the anti-Semite uh, Semite um, attitude. So it's kind of like that. how Conor McGregor's real name is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Henry Winkelstein or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they would just change their names, like actually, or just like their stage name almost to reflect something more Irish. That's or? a that's a great question too, because uh, not for nothing, record keeping is not. Um, it's not as perfect as we like to think it is. We have records of things, but uh, old Adelard Coonan himself used to routinely lie about his age and his heritage and where he was from in order to keep people from ever finding out like the real story on him. Also, so, he's Tommy Wiseau of this decade. Pretty much, man. He uh, he lies about uh, uh, what where year he was from. born. Where is he? Yeah, he he puts on this Irish and Polish uh, idea because that that was two of the predominant groups where he was growing up, but. Uh, He's full of shit, old Adelard. <laughs> and he uh, decides he's going to go ahead and pick a new name for himself. Starts going by the name of George Moran. Okay? George Moran does not get more. Now, my buddy Colin Moran uh, was a, a buddy of mine from Mezron 10 back uh, down in the Florida days. And uh, he looks a lot like George Moran. So this is hilarious. I wonder if you know that's uh, any connection it's on that It's a family one. connection that uh... – well, George has got a big Irish face, you know what I mean? Giant head on his body, uh, you know, rosy cheeks. A brother from a different mother. We look a I certain mean, way. Did our loser have any children? Did he have a family? Does Is there descendants? He does, and it's uh, it gets weird, too, actually, because um, as we're going to get into later on here, he had uh, two wives, of which we're going to dive into the details of that one a little bit here. Um, Ancestry.com. Very much. This is, this is where we bring that into play. Not for an off, slightly off topic, but uh, my sister Carrie, who's been a guest on this very show, um, she actually did all of our Ancestry stuff for us, I guess, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And they have now had – Ancestry.com now has a, such a large database from all the DNA that everybody's been sending into them that uh, they're actually now able to refine the search results even more so to tell you more specific information about the stuff they already knew and to correct the other stuff that maybe they weren't exactly, you know, a thousand percent certain about. spit hit the walls changed slightly. That's a <laughs> – well, uh, he's doing a joke of mine from on stage, you bastard. Uh, so the correction that I recently had, uh, Kahuna, was I was uh, told that I was 78 percent Irish uh, on the initial reporting. It turns out that's wrong. That's incorrect. That is incorrect. Uh, I am uh, 97 percent <laughs> oh. Irish. <laughs> That means nobody left that island for generations. <laughs> now, so. I'm curious because I'm actually Irish. Most people wouldn't even assume so. <laughs> when you look at a picture of me before I was the, the silent partner. Uh, <laughs> the I, silent tech. Uh, as I was once told, the Irish are the Puerto Ricans of Europe. So there's a little bit of everything. <laughs> right. It's a mix. Floating around everywhere. But uh, that being said, he uh, – now, if you're a um, if you're a French Catholic man named Adelard Coonan, but you're an American now. And in America, you can be anything you want to be if you put your mind to it. Uh, well, he decided he was going to be Irish. That That's was his. Right. <laughs> be more so, accepting to uh, to the neighborhood, if you will. Yeah. So George Moran now is going by uh, that name. That becomes who he is. He has his, uh, you know, not to be rude here. He has his uh, Caitlin to Bruce moment. You know what I mean? Or Bruce to Caitlin, rather. <laughs> And uh, he goes ahead and uh, he's in this private Catholic high school out in Minnesota and he drops out because he joined a gang. All right. So the Catholic parochial education not quite paying dividends. Um, Moran is thrown in jail three times before turning 21. And his gang at the time was known for – this is a pretty good uh, racket right here. 
uh, they were known for stealing horses, and then they would ransom them back to the person they stole it from. So you'd have to pay them for them to give you your horse back. All right. What and year was this? That's the thing. This is essentially yeah, stealing your car. Yeah, that's what you got to keep in mind is that we're you know you when you initially hear they were uh, you know for a hijacking horses. Uh, well, yeah, but that was probably one of the primary means of transportation. So that's like stealing somebody's ride for a loser. I'm not gonna lie. It's not a bad record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kahuna, imagine you walk downstairs after your shift here to Shared Universe, and uh, your car's gone, but there's a picture of it, and it's me and my father. We've stolen your car. <laughs> That's right. And for the one low sum of $78.99, right. we're willing to give you back your car. So, oh, so there. Oh, so this dude was just forming towing companies before they were towing companies. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> not bad. He's the repo man, but it's not like you owed anything. It was your car, but he's going to repossess it. it anyhow. So he's got uh, holding ransom horses, and he also had uh, other small-time fraud that he was involved with. Uh, like we said, he was arrested three times before turning 21. Bugs is now able to evade further arrests by moving to Chicago, Illinois, because uh, uh, at the time frame, uh, Chicago is the epicenter of the organized crime wars. All right, it is a uh, all that Untouchables, Elliot Ness shit. That's all you know. This is that's the time frame we're dealing with here. So you're going to leave quiet St. Paul, Minnesota, because you're a small time hood, and you're going to go to the big time. Right? It's getting called up to the majors, yep. pretty much. So uh, now Chicago is the epicenter of that crime due in large part to uh, the bootlegging operations that were created in opposition to the 18th Amendment. Dad, what is the 18th Amendment? Well, the 18th Amendment is really prohibition. In other words, uh, the United States nationally has, has taken on the 18th Amendment to our Constitution that made uh, the consumption, transportation, and production of alcohol illegal anywhere in the United States. And it, it had a, a long... It's the dark times. Yeah, it was... <laughs> for many of us, it was dark times. If but, you couldn't uh, find a speakeasy, you were fucked. Um, what was also enacted was the um, uh, Alstead Act, which gave that whole amendment teeth. Uh, in other words, uh, you, could, you could pass a law, but if there's no way of enforcing the law... Um, it's 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 pointless, but um, like we say, don't speed. But if you do speed, now here's what's going to happen to you. Right, so. right. But then here, now there's, there's penalties involved, and law enforcement can go go after you if you disobey the law. It had a long lead in uh, prohibition. Did um, you know there was uh, a group since our nation's founding that were against alcohol and the consumption of alcohol, but um, this was a uh, as I say, a long lead-in, and the 18th Amendment came into effect on January, I mean, I think it was 16th, 1920. Uh, prior to the actual amendment uh, being passed, there were already 20 states within the 47 at the time, right? The United States was 47 states at that time. But there were already 20 states that had passed state legislation prohibiting Prohibition, predominantly in the South and and uh, rural Northern states. Well, there was a Christian component to this as well. Absolutely, that absolutely. Right that, uh, Your Temperance League and everything. <laughs> uh, Temperance Union, Temperance League, um, the Anti Saloon League was was another one that. Um, this is why sometimes I give my parents flack for actually naming me Christian. Like, yo, come on. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> oh, he just had a big giveaway there yeah, with, the, say, with the Kahuna's a, real identity. Find out here. Talking about Bugs Moran taking on a new identity. <laughs> this guy's taking on the Kahuna, um, <laughs> the Kahuna handle. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that uh, there was a lot of things melded into this whole prohibition. It was also... Uh, um, women's rights with the right to vote because that was the um, the the 18th and the 19th amendment um, took away the tax on alcohol and gave us our federal income tax. Thank you very much. So rather than taxing my uh, my liquor, well, we'll take that tax away. But now we're going to give you an income tax. Yeah, shit. That's where. It, oh, my uh, yeah. Man. So and it, so that was part of the the revenue stream. And then and I don't want to burn too much because we are going to do that series on the prohibition. Right, uh, right. And series, then so. um, we also, but prohibition was a strong was also a political movement with uh, women's right to vote. Uh, it's, and uh, morality issues and everything else, and and, kind of and it was also that, that anti saloon league was also fighting some of the uh, political corruption because 
at the time now, the working class guy would go into the the saloon, if you will, for the proverbial free lunch, which was that was like the origins of the free lunch that these various saloons would set up a free working man's lunch. It was usually some highly salted meat that's going to make you a little thirsty. All you're going to wash down your free lunch with is a couple of couple of pints. But um, corned beef is salty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> making sense it, is, now? it is that. It is that. But um, yeah, so uh, now with the outlawing of, of alcohol or prohibition, um, organized crime that wasn't really involved with any of that uh, prior to this has now got a huge opportunity for a, an all-new revenue stream with uh, bootleg booze. In other words, illegal, illegal, uh, illegal liquor. Well, there's, uh, there's big business in booze. And there's a lot of Italians and a lot of Irish in town. Now, Italians love business and Irish love booze. So they're going to be natural enemies. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't actually just Italians and the Irish, but uh, Chicago was key, uh, one of the key areas for bootlegging, for bringing in, because, you know, what's right across the Great Lakes is Canada, which uh, did not have any problems with uh, with alcohol or, or the production of alcohol. So if you want to get opportunity to still drink some of the good stuff rather than homemade stuff, or people were doing all kinds of all kinds of crap the to old, get around uh, that bathtub gin type yeah, stuff. Yeah, bathtub gin type of thing. Moonshine. So you got Canada um, is your border, and all it takes is a quick boat ride to uh, bring in some 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 of the good stuff. Um, just as some of the eastern um, cities, well, all you got to do is take a quick run down to the Bahamas or down to the Caribbean and bring in some some of the uh, the rums and stuff from uh, the Caribbean. Um, and the British colonial office that was controlling that area at the time had no problem with uh, selling all you wanted. As a matter of fact, there was a quote from uh, Winston Churchill who believed that prohibition was a an affront to the whole history of mankind. <laughs> so, you ever have one of those? Winnie moments, wasn't uh, too bad on, uh, you know, providing whatever uh, whatever you're uh, might be tempted with in the alcohol consumption. Oh wow! Now, uh, he says this by the way. The pause that he's taking right now is to sip his beer. All right, that, is, <laughs> that was nothing short of poetic. Moments, <laughs> well, yeah. You ever have one of those moments? Here's to you, Winnie uh, Churchill. You ever realize like how stupid some of your friends are? One time I was hanging out with these group of people and this girl goes, well, why don't they just make alcohol illegal? And I was like, they already did that. They, tr- they, they, <laughs> they tried that they once. They tried that once. How, yeah. That didn't turn out so well. It's, uh, it's a weird thing with that because they, they tried and they really, uh, really fell fast. flat on their face <laughs> with this stuff. Um, yeah, Prohibition, Kev, is, it's, it's just a huge topic that I think we ought to uh, take that up. We're, uh, we're going to do a, a future, series on that A future one, episode of uh, American so Loser. My buddy uh, Nick Franco will keep us to that one. I'm going to tell Nick so that Nick can give me a hard time about it. Con- constantly nonsense. remind yeah. you? Okay. I want him to, you're, you're the enforcer on that one here, sir. I want to I want to make it known. I for those for the prohibition episodes, you got to come in wearing zoot suits. <laughs> there you go. I do think it'd be Swinging appropriate if we drank through it too. We'll get a, a beer sponsor or something like that for the episodes too. But uh, when uh, when I got into comedy, you started wanting to hang around comedy clubs and stuff because that's where comedy you know was going to happen and comedians were going to. No. Pretty simple thing with that, right? But. If you're new in town in Chicago and you want to go ahead and cozy up to uh, the local criminal element, there literally was a shady part of town you could go hang out at. And our boy uh, George Moran, who would start to get the nickname uh, – uh, we'll move on to – we'll explain the uh, etymology of that later here. But um, George Moran would go hang out uh, in the shady part of town where he picked up uh, with a crew of safe crackers. All right? That was uh, now safe crackers. That's um, that's what people refer to when uh, to pleasant white people as, right? That's a, if you're a person of color and you see someone smile. Oh, those are safe crackers. Um, <laughs> but uh, that being said, um, now Moran is going to go ahead and now he's hanging out in this uh, the shady part of town, meeting all these people. One of the guys he winds up meeting is tell me this is not a great name. All right, Dean O'Banion. O'Banion, you got to you got to roll your R's and stretch your A's when you're saying that name. <laughs> Well, you Dino got to find old Dino boy. Uh, it's a funny thing here too because I, I did when I first heard his name, thought that they were saying Dino Banyan, and I was like, "That's so." So he is. He's so Irish he's and Italian. The, <laughs> that's right, so that's who they named the dog after in the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dino Banyan of uh, the Chicago area is a fascinating guy. Here, by the way, he is a shopkeeper and florist by day, 
and head of the North Side Gang by night. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was an overlap there. I mean, sometimes the night work were, were rolled into the day work. But, yeah, I mean. It's such a got great this, criminal uh, front, though, right, isn't right. it? He's a florist. I mean, what could be uh, what could be so bad by a guy that could really make a nice floral arrangement for you, especially for your funeral? Now, that's even the best part here now. Abanian's funny because he would run his gang out of the same flower shop during the day that would provide flowers for the funerals of men that he ordered killed. <laughs> Right. He was a guy, guy with a heart. I mean, oh yeah, he knows all the gangsters. Just because oh, you I'm got so wagged. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm so sorry about your cousin. Uh, let me send over a nice arrangement here. Uh, you know, I'll very, give you a discount. Very Bronx tale. Uh, very much. So. Absolutely. Um, now uh, the North Side Gang, which is what O'Banion was the head of here, very fascinating gang. They were because uh, if you talk about the North Siders and the South Siders in Chicago now, that goes down to the rivalry between the Chicago Cubs and their crosstown rivals, the Chicago White Sox. They're known as the South Siders down there. And the North Siders are the Cubs, all right? But the North Side gang was made up of mostly Irish, all right? But some Polish, German, and even a couple of Jewish bootleggers. And they were the chief rivals of a man named Alphonse Capone, who was the head of the South Side gang. I don't think Alphonse – I don't think that was an Irish name though, was it, Kev? No, no. Uh, Capone was uh, what you would call Italian but specifically of the uh, the Sicilian ideals Sicilian version. of being Italian. Right. So if you were a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Italian, you didn't quite fit in into the uh, the, the nice um, Sicilian, you know, old mother country, you know, kind of a thing. That they, they were, were very close-knit. Oh, uh, very much. So. It, it was a family business for them. Um, now Capone was a New York gangster. That was essentially running the city's bootlegging operations in Chicago, and he crafted this larger-than-life image of himself. Uh, I mean, you can see anytime you see a picture of him, he's got like headshots. All right, a criminal with headshots. I'm a comedian; I barely have headshots. He he was a uh, a publicity hound, if you will. That he was always looking to be in the papers. He he craved that to be the center of attention, which okay. goes against some of that La Cosa Nostra thing where you're not even supposed to know they exist. Right. You know what I mean? There is no mafia. No, it's a secret. It's a secret society that doesn't exist. Yeah, but now this guy's out there talking like Floyd Mayweather levels of trash, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Which uh, kind of just funny stuff with that in general, but uh, Capone, like we said, crafts this image for himself. He originally, by the way, because we did say he was a New Yorker, he was a member of the Five Points gang with uh, Lucky Luciano involved, who, uh, I mean, they were butted heads with Tammany Hall, and then they got their act cleaned up by Firo LaGuardia all right. around this same time frame. So that whole chunk we just did on Tammany Hall, a lot of the people in the later episodes are butting heads with each other at this time. They're all, they're all coming together, and Lucky Luciano is uh, really the crafter of the whole, um, well, the five families in New York, but also uh, uh, to bring um, crime to a, a national level by bringing all the families together. The uh, the other crazy thing, too, is that he actually credits, Luciano would credit uh, Arnold Rothstein, one of his mentors, as uh, teaching a kid from the hood how to dress, how to wear. So a Jewish businessman, you know, corrupt, a little bit of a gambler, a little bit of cra- They, you know, we'll talk about him for another episode because he's loosely involved with another scandal, Rothstein I'm talking about. But uh, Lucky Luciano credits him with teaching him how to dress. So now you've taught this Italian kid how to dress, how to run a business, and he's going to go back old school, old style country. Black hand stuff is now coming into America. So uh, pretty fascinating stuff over there. These two gangs, though, Capone Southsiders and George Moran, oh, Dino Banyans, uh, running the operation at the time in the north side, they are regularly engaging in violence and competition for this precious bootlegging business. Because like you said, you have a chance to be bringing in uh, Canadian club whiskey from over the uh, the lake. Right, you have uh, chances to bring in rum. People are making wine, all sorts of stuff. Beer is still very popular because prohibition wasn't just hard liquor. That was a big score to have hard liquor. But I mean, there's routinely you would see uh, on the Elliot Ness tapes and stuff like that them busting open <laughs> barrels of beer. I'm laughing when you said Elliot Ness because in my upbringing, um, there was a show uh, Robert Stack on a TV show. Robert Stack was the star of uh, Elliot Ness, right? The Untouchables, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my household growing up, that wasn't the Untouchables. It was uh, either Cops and Wops or Guinea Gun or Guinea Gunsmoke. <laughs> it went by both names, but Jesus, yeah, uh, we're gonna get letters. The Untouchables. Um. That's all right. That was in a uh, gentler, kindler society back in the old school, the old days, the old no, neighborhood. That's uh, yeah, here on that one. It's a. Uh, um, now, what's interesting here is that these gangs are. Uh, you know, going against each other. But there's some colorful personalities on both sides of this gang war here. 
a member of the Northside Gang and a close friend of George Moran's was nicknamed uh, Jaime the Pole. Okay? Jaime the Pole. He was a Polish sociopath, a Polish Catholic sociopath, mind you, too. He would carry around a rosary and a Bible with him at most times. His real name was Henry Earl Waszkowski. Okay? And he was known uh, – he got the nickname Jaime, and he was from Poland. So you call him a Pole, right? So he was Jaime the Pole. That was the guy's name. Sounds like a goofball character, right? Kind of a goofy dude, maybe. That sounds like something that belongs in, like, the Little Rascals or something. Yeah, very much so, <laughs> right? It's, it's fitting for the era, like... Now, what if I told you, though... Stymie and Alfalfa. It, it's a very... Uh, Little Rascals is a great example with that one. Um, now, what if I told you that Jaime the Pole is most infamously known as the only man Al Capone ever feared? Yeah. With a, a man named Jaime the Pole. Mm-hmm. It strikes fear in Al Capone. Yes. Al Capone, the man who the, – the criminal empire in America of Al Capones, the man who's you know truly fearless, above the law, everything, but he's afraid of Jaime the Pole. Jaime the Pole sounds like a song you sing. <laughs> That's right. right. The Jaime Maypole. the Pole. Jaime the Pole. <laughs> the Winnie the Pooh thing. It's um, like one of Disney's like shittier animated movies. <laughs> right. This is Jaime. He's a pole in a strip club who longs of being a pole in a building. <laughs> Uh, whenever Jaime the Pole was done killing somebody, he would say, oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he was uh, it was a terrifying guy, man. You look at a picture of him, too, uh, and he his eyes look like they can cut right through you. And uh, he's the only man Al Capone ever feared. When asked, his brother, all right, Jaime the Pole's brother was asked about how he felt about Jaime and what it was like growing up with him. He says, I haven't seen him more than twice in 20 years. And the last time I saw him was six years ago when he shot me. No, Jaime shot his own he brother. He shot his own brother. Yeah. Yeah, this is someone I wouldn't want to And it hasn't been a Christmas card since. So. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it gets a little bit uh, crazy after that. But he also um, would routinely, uh, he was known for this, he would tell um, any members of the press and photographers to try to take a picture of him when they were covering Gangland Chicago and the wars and everything. If they tried to take his picture, he would very calmly, in a very calm voice, just look at them and say, if you take that picture of me, I'm going to fucking kill you. And when they're that calm, right. you know they meet it. And he's staring into those eyes. Uh, and and in, I believe it was in a lowered voice as well. That was oh, yeah. you know very calm, very simplistic. You take the picture, I'll fucking kill you. Oof. Well, he is a key figure here in uh, Capone and Moran's turf war that is continuing to escalate over control of the bootlegging in Chicago. Moran was disgusted by Capone because uh, you know Moran was a bootlegger, right? And Capone was a bootlegger, but Capone was also involving himself in drugs and prostitution. And it was the prostitution thing that actually offended Moran's deeply Catholic faith because uh, he was a married man too. Now, Moran's first wife left him because she didn't approve of his lifestyle. And around this time frame is when he actually marries a newly immigrated uh, Turkish belly dancer named Lucille. Okay. Nice. Oh, yeah. Lucille. You look at pictures of her, too, man. You can see she was definitely Not the guitar Lucille. We're talking. Yeah. <laughs> now, they're, uh, he's literally importing a, a Kardashian. You know what I mean? He's going to marry right. a Kardashian. There you go. But um, so he goes ahead, uh, and he is actually open, talking to uh, anybody who will listen to him, uh, is open disdain for Capone, which is kind of weird for the time because you got all these, the, the idea of a muerta and, you know, the code of silence among gangsters right. and everything. And you don't talk about business and everything. But he's out there saying, yeah, Capone's a, he's a scumbag. He does this. He does that. And he literally – there's a moral uh, kind of high ground that he tries to stay on by saying, well, I don't get into prostitution. That was his way of being around that. Now, um, the Italians are run by Capone, but they're also run by uh, Johnny Torrio, who was Capone's old mentor. Uh, Torrio, uh, in the gang wars, continued to escalate, has Dean O'Banion killed in his flower shop by three men. All right? There's that amazing scene in Godfather 1 when Luca Brasi goes to uh, the bar to, to right. figure out an offer. And they stab his hand to the bar so that they can then put the garrote around his neck. And Garrett. Should, that, yeah, Garrett. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've got, I've got Adeline, uh, you know, French names and shit here. I'm trying right. to put spins on things that aren't there. So they take the piano wire yeah. and they put it around his neck and they choke him and he's unable to defend himself because his hand is stabbed to the that's, body. That's in the movie Luke, with Luca Brasi. That's in the movie right. with Luca Brasi, right? That's fucking now, horrible. Very similar. Very similar though. What they do for old yeah. Dino Banyan is three men walk into Dino Banyan's uh, flower shop. Floral shop. 
and he's sitting there, and uh, they do a great job with this on Boardwalk Empire. I mean, I, that's why we're not even really covering this too much because Boardwalk went into such great detail of it and the, the visual aspect and everything. But uh, there's a true story. This is how down to the details Boardwalk got it. Three men walk into O'Banion's flower shop. The one man uh, goes to shake his hand. O'Banion reaches across the counter, all right, goes to shake his hand, and then the guy won't let go of the handshake. Now, there's always something bad that happens with that. That's just – if you're ever shaking hands with somebody, then they, they pull you in real close. You're about to get told something either like a, a super fucked up joke or somebody's about to say something to you <laughs> that, that you're about, you realize you're about to escalate things. Oh, God. So he's holding on to O'Banion's hand. The other two men come out and flank him, take out their pistols, and shoot him multiple times all over the chest. And I mean he's just torn to pieces here behind the counter of his own flower shop. All right? And now Dean O'Banion is dead. The head of the North Side gang has been killed. You have escalated the violence now. All right? It's, Goodbye, Dino. Oh, it's getting bad. Um, now, uh, as a measure of revenge, Jaime, the Pole, and uh, our pal uh, George Moran, who is now becoming uh, known for his other name. He's got yeah. a nickname, too. He's got a moniker. He's got a nickname. So he's he's not Jaime the Pole, but he's Bugs Moran. Yeah, Bugs Moran. Now, what, what does... In the 1920s, what does it mean to be bugs? Well, if you're bugs or buggy, it means uh, you're nuts, you're crazy, you're absolutely insane. That uh, that was, you know, a uh, uh, local jargon, not local jargon. You're but the very best at being bad. Current, current <laughs> jargon. Is it was uh, you, of the zeitgeist. Right, right. That uh, you are absolutely a wackadoodle of the, of the highest order. Now, back in New York now, there's also a guy who's uh, hanging out with uh, Luciano and uh, Meyer Lansky and Rossi and all them, a kid by the name of Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy Siegel. Who's later right. going to invent Las Vegas, pretty much. Right, right. But, but uh, you would he not— He was batshit crazy, too. Yeah, he was absolutely batshit crazy, and all, all of the guys working for him knew that he was batshit crazy, but there would be nobody that would call him by— that Bugsy name to his face because he'd probably end up whacking you to right then and there that uh, just, you know, we would go into a rage. But Also, like, being called Bugsy, whatever, was actually like an, an, like an outside nickname that if you called him that, you would get, like, you would you would not trouble? Call him, yeah, you would not call him that to his face because you, you're telling, you know. Oh, okay. Oh, like Mad Dog Tannen, Back to Future 3. That's up there as well. There was yeah. another, uh, yeah. and I mean, you you take it in the time frame again. Now we're in the 1920s, uh, going into the into the 30s. Uh, Where these you know, people need respect an, on the an name. animated uh, cartoon character that's being developed by the names of Bugs Bunny. Oh, well, that was a, a you know an animated rabbit that was absolutely crazy. So uh, you know that that Bugs thing, or to be buggy or bug or <laughs> Bugsy was uh, you're you're absolutely a wackadoodle. You're there uh, was a great uh, Family Guy that they did when they said that uh, uh, one of Peter's great uh, grandfathers almost uh, helped name Bugs Bunny, and they said, uh, "All right, so we're taking it down to a vote. Uh, we got uh, all in favor of Bugs Bunny. You see everybody's hands go up in the meeting, and the guy who looks like Peter Griffin. They say." Uh, all right, uh, anyone in favor of Ephraim the Retarded Rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't quite have to be bu- – Yeah, it was uh, – so doesn't Bugs have quite was, the same uh, ring to it, right? Bugs was batshit crazy bunny. That's pretty much what it was. Can so, you imagine Bugs with a different name though? I would uh, undermine a lot of stuff on that one, man. Now, uh, not for nothing here. So you got Bugs Moran and Jaime the Pole are coming after you, Johnny Torrio. Mm-hmm. All right? The Chicago Gang Wars way underway here. Um as a measure of revenge to uh, to get uh, them back for the murder of Dean O'Banion, Jaime and Bugs would attack John Torrio. They shot, uh, he got shot in the legs, the abdomen, the jaw, and the groin. All right? None of Torrio. Those are, yeah, none yeah. of those are kill shots, really. But, I mean, that's uncomfortable places to get shot. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and you, your, your healing process was uh, a little prolonged. <laughs> Long, painful, and annoying. So now Jaime goes in for the kill shot on Torrio here. You're about to kill the effective head of the the South Side Side gang here. This is a big fucking hit. And uh, as he's about to kill him, uh, to perform the coup de grace, if you will, the kill shot, uh, the gun jams. And they have to leave Torrio to die slowly. So they, they kick him around a little bit. They hit him and stuff like that. But they leave him to die thinking that at least they, you know, pulled off what they needed to pull off. Torrio doesn't die. All right. Johnny Torrio does not die. He would later retire from the mafia life. Yeah, I think it kind of opened up a, a window of opportunity for him to maybe this might be your exit strategy. Yeah, that was his first uh, that was his first winter in Florida. I'll put That's it that right. way. Yeah. Um, 
So Torrio retires from the mafia life, which is uh, a big deal because that's spurned on by this attack by Jaime and Bugs. And it also hands full control over the criminal empire in Chicago to Al Capone. All right. Capone's got – that was his mentor. He got along with Torrio for the most part. Well, full, full control of the south side. But you oh, know, yeah. the, the war is still going on between the south side and the north the side. The war is but, raging. But, but uh, Capone has no one Capone, to answer right, to anymore. Right. So Bugs and Jaime would also make an attempt on Capone's life outside of the Hawthorne Inn, Capone's headquarters in Cicero, Illinois, which we'll get into for the prohibition. But that's literally a town they took over. It was just run the by – The mob took over I mean, Cicero. Right. It was. It's almost like uh, when Cobra has a uh, uh, headquarters. Cobra headquarters on GI Joe. That's essentially <laughs> what it was. That they took Cicero, uh, Illinois, and turned it into uh, Capone Land. Um, more than one thousand bullets are fired during this assault. This is Wild West shit here at this point. It's out of control, and the newspapers are playing this up all the time too. By the way, so they're covering you. Well, of course, people, they are. Oh, they can't wait if you're in new jersey you can't wait to read about the gangland violence in chicago because it doesn't hit close to home for you all right you can put this mysticism behind it. you got right, that whole gangster right. images coming out around this time we're still a cowboy nation for the most part in certain parts of the world but uh it's pretty crazy what's going on with all this um they are not able to get anything affected by that thousand bullet assault doesn't do shit really for them they don't hit capone they don't do anything they do piss old al off a little bit yeah i, I would think that <laughs> You know, I would think that that would be a little bit of an annoyance. Dodging a thousand bullets uh, might have a repercussions. Well, uh, in re- <laughs> repercussions is an understatement. Yeah. In retaliation for the attempt on Capone, Jaime the Pole and three others are gunned down by machine guns and shotguns on October 11th, 1926, uh, near O'Banion's old flower shop. So, oh, so that's Jaime the Pole. Taking it back pole. to your neighborhood. Yep, that's Jaime. We've got a picture of him up here. You can tell he could look through you. All right, and uh, I'll attach uh, a photo to that for he's the Instagram. He's got those account. eyes, yeah. Oh, he's—it's definitely um, you'd believe whatever he was telling you. I'll put it that way. Um, now that being said, um, now he's dead. I mean, the pole is gone. All right, that was the the scary soldier, if you will, right. the North Side Gang, the one that actually had Capone, you know, waking up in the night sweats every now and then. Um, Literally, the third caption on Google Images is the man that Al Capone feared. Wow. Wouldn't you lead with that, though, if that was your thing? I mean, that's a great fucking uh, tag to have, if you will. But uh, Moran is uh, enraged by the death of Jaime. All right. Absolutely enraged. Jaime is buried in Mount Carmel Cemetery, the same cemetery as Dino Banyan. Okay. So now the guy who sought out to avenge you is buried in the same cemetery as you. Ironically, years later, you know who's going to join them in that cemetery, Kahuna? Who? Al Capone. <laughs> Wait, really? The guy, yeah. the guy who had both of them killed, all right, winds up in the same cemetery. It makes you wonder about stuff like that, you know? You only get buried in a cemetery with people you yeah. hate. The one person you don't get along they with. All, they all come together in the end, right? That's a hoof. It is a, it's a baffling thing with all that. But like I said, Moran is now enraged by the death of Jaime, and he attempts to kill another high-level member of Capone's crew unsuccessfully okay uh the retaliation by capone will become famous around the world yeah so the back and forth here i mean uh o'banion gets killed and then they tried and then they uh kill otorio and then because otorio's death they then kill jaime the pole jaime the pole gets killed so then they try to retaliate again on to the other side but that didn't go so well so now it's Capone's turn uh, time at bat, so uh, he he gets uh, up and starts swinging, and uh, take it take it forward, Kev. Where are we going next? Uh, that's a, I really love the baseball analogy too, because there is a back and forth. Like, oh, we got a couple base hits here. All right, uh, we're going to bring this guy home at this point. So you're just trading shots back and forth. I think the grand salami is about to uh, take place. Now though. imagine during the middle of a baseball game in the seventh inning, uh, it turns into basketball. <laughs> uh, and the numbers start going up to basketball numbers. All right. Uh, this was, like we said, the press has been covering the Chicago gangland stuff. Uh, it is uh, murder capital of the world, I believe, at the time. Mm-hmm. That's and, the, uh, that was its nickname. 
Oh, it's getting all over the place, nonstop coverage here. Now, this is the one thing people know about Al Capone, but sometimes they're like, "Oh, well, he's you know, he's a businessman, you know, almost likable." In a no, way. he's like he's the textbook definition of gangster man. Uh, but that gangster image has this weird appeal in America, right? Especially when you're an immigrant, you've got all this money now and everything. You know, he's making a name for himself, right? And it's not just Al Capone and his. Uh underworld business dealings the whole city of chicago was corrupt which is one of the reasons why they moved it out to cicero is because you never could tell which cop was going to be paid by which side in the north side you know are there north side cops versus south side cops if only chicago had a tammany hall to (laughs) to bring to bring all the corruption together under one roof that's right one stop shopping like (laughs) tammany had but uh, now here we are. Like I said, that basketball score is about to uh, break into this baseball game. On February 14th, 1929, Capone would set in motion the crime that would ultimately lead to his own undoing. Because this is uh, this is details here, man. These are high-profile murders known as the Valentine's Day Massacre. Okay? Uh, Valentine's Day Massacre, brutal crime for its time here. Uh, it was all done as an attempt to kill our pal Bugs Moran. All right. They wanted Bugs dead. He was the last. He was the last big swinging dick for the uh, North Side gang. And they go ahead and uh, Moran gets a phone call, and they give him quote an offer he can't refuse end quote in a truck full of whiskey that was going to be available to Bugs for bargain prices. Okay. So he sure goes, it was good deal. They set him up here. Moran agrees to receive the shipment at one of his many bootlegging garages at 10:30 a.m. the next day, Valentine's Day. Now, uh, seven of Moran's men, most of them his top men as well, are forced up against the wall during the delivery of the truck by some cops. All right? So they think it's just a raid. They're like, oh, shit, the cops are here. All right, they're going to take the liquor away. We're going to get a couple of tickets, that kind of a thing, you know, like a a minor possession charge, if you will. But uh, while they're put up against the wall, right, they're getting forced up against the wall, uh, empty your pockets kind of a thing, stand in a search position, Uh, all seven men – are standing there and they realize now they never truly realize um, the cops that are arresting them are actually Capone men. They're not real cops and they have Tommy guns and shotguns and they butcher all seven of the men while they're standing up against the wall. I mean, just the classic gangster image of uh, the machine gun with the, you know, the cigar sticking out of your mouth. That's the villainy that's being created here. They gun down these dudes uh, with their backs turned to them. And uh, they never really see their assailants' faces. Six of the seven die instantly. All right? Six of the seven gangsters are dead. But one man, Frank Gusenberg, all right, who is laying dying of his multiple wounds, his machine gun riddled body is bleeding out on the floor. And the cops, when they arrive, say, The real cops. The real cops now say, Who shot you? Who did this? He goes, Ain't nobody shot me. <laughs> that's right. And that's how you keep to the code of the gangsters, all right? That code of silence code that they of had silence. on there. Now, they said the other thing, too, is um, the crime was not reported right away uh, in the Chicago area because uh, – partly because – I mean, who wants to stick their nose into the mafia's business when you just heard that many rounds get shot in the gangland capital of the world? Right. Uh, and then at the same time, the cops were already there. So they're in cop. Oh, we got this. Everything's under control here. Don't you worry. Go back inside, citizen. We've got you covered. Meanwhile, those are the murderers getting away. Right. So did he? Uh, did they ever figure out actually who did the shooting? Uh, well, they knew that because um, this is where it, it kind of gets interesting. Bugs was supposed to have been there because that was the main target of the right. operation. Bugs was the, was the number one guy to be whacked. But uh, yeah, if you can kill some of his other higher ups, that's great. But you get rid of Bugs, you can crush the north collateral, side. Of uh, right. Collateral, not damage, but uh, bonus bonus round. Been there, right? So now uh, Bugs is supposed to have been there. He was the clear target of this attack, but Bugs uh, didn't make it on time because he had decided to sleep in that day. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever have you ever you ever make the wrong decision and it winds up saving your life? <laughs> well, for yeah. Bugsy, for Bugsy, that's just exactly what happened. Oh my God! It's uh, it's exactly he got lucky and he his laziness on that particular decision saved his life. All right, but. Uh, you could die in the act or you could survive. And surviving sounds like a great idea, but now you got to deal with the fallout on all this shit. Um, upon seeing the carnage of his friends and his crew, Moran breaks the code of silence and publicly accuses Al Capone of the murder. All right? So you were saying, did we ever find out who really did this? Uh, Moran's quote was, ain't nobody could have done this to me except Al Capone. All right? So now you have one gangster publicly saying in the paper calling for the, the papers, calling right. out the other guy. 
He even tried to have Capone charged with the murders by the police department. So this is now a one of the first times in history that you're having a gangster work with the police in order to try to get another gangster put out of business using the system. All right? So it gets really confusing here. But um, what winds up happening is Al Capone, uh, both time, first of all, he had a squeaky tight alibi. Um, if you're going to have people murdered in Chicago, what's the best place you could do it from? Los so, Angeles? <laughs> he was in Florida at the time. Wait, so, are you serious? Yep, yeah, he was down in Florida at, <laughs> he was at his on, mansion. He was on vacation in Florida. So he's down there. There's no way I could have been possibly responsible. I certainly wasn't there, you know. You know, I'm going to blame Al Capone from here on out that he's the reason weird shit started happening in Florida after <laughs> that point. <laughs> people eating fucking faces off of other people. Uh, all see, this. if only you would listen to the Osceola episode, you would know that Florida was fucked up long before <laughs> Al Capone. <laughs> go. All right. That beautiful state. Um, I love Florida. But that being said uh, – Moran is uh, – he's not able to get any charges put up against them and the gang – he pretty much – he lives but his gang is crippled. All right, The Northside gang, they never lose power. All right, They never lose any uh, – but they also don't gain any additional power. All right, So thanks to Prohibition, they're able to stay in some relevance all right, but they're not growing anymore and it's Al Capone's city. This right. is it. Right. That's the straw that broke the back on that. Um, now, that sounds like a defeat for Moran, doesn't it? You would think, This right? is where you'd like, okay, he's the American loser on this one, right? So this is how he starts to become... Well, uh, what winds up happening is uh, when you... He loses that gang war, all right? That's widely considered the Northside gang just loses this gang war to Al Capone's Southsiders. But now, you make so many fucking headlines, all right, with uh, what you do with this Valentine's Day massacre that's being attributed to Al Capone. Uh, you're going to piss some people off, man. All right? Law and order needs to come into town here. The St. Valentine's Day massacre is one of the catalysts for the forming of uh, the Treasury Department's use of one certain Mr. Untouchable himself, Elliot Ness, Elliot Ness, who now comes out from the Treasury Department, and they start putting a, you know, putting a little fire to the feet of Al Capone and all the other people in his organization. Uh, eventually, they're going to be able to get him on uh, tax evasion. right? But uh, that doesn't start until you have a concert, you know, one giant effort to bring the guy down. So because of that, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, he's now under a microscope with all the shit, and they find all the dirt on him, and we know what winds up happening to Capone. He winds up over in jail, all this other stuff's going on here. But what happens to Moran? Uh, Moran leaves Chicago and pretty much leaves the Northside gang after Prohibition is over because now this once lucrative bootlegging operation, not really kicking around the money like it used right, to. Right, right. And he wasn't into, in, into prostitution or some of the other vices, so— uh, Yeah, he was a good guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But uh, Moran leaves the gang and spends his remaining years getting arrested and serving uh, double-digit sentences multiple times for uh, small-time fraud jobs and robberies all over the Midwest. Uh, Fourteen years removed now, all right? From- yeah, he's he's already peaked as far as uh, as an earner, you know, bringing in the oh, yeah. bringing in the big bucks. You got a hot <laughs> Turkish wife, man. You got to have money for that. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, fourteen years removed from being one of the richest gangsters in Chicago. Bugs Moran is now nearly penniless. In 1945, he was arrested for robbing a tavern in Dayton, Ohio. Not a great look. All right? Yeah, being one of the, yeah, one of the kingpins of the underworld. And now, you're, and, yeah, and now you're robbing a fucking Arby's. Right. Right? <laughs> um, kind of ridiculous with that stuff, man. But because of uh, his implication in that crime of robbing this tavern in Dayton, Ohio, Moran's final years were spent in prison. Okay, He died of lung cancer at age 63. A few months into a 10-year sentence at Leavenworth Prison. You know what they make you do at Leavenworth Prison, Dad? Yeah, that's when you're making the little guys out of the big guys. You're, you're busting rock. It's, yep. it's hard labor. That's not just uh, you know, some making FedEx. Making big rocks into little rocks, that's one right. of the toughest prisons. in the. So he dies of lung cancer a few months into that. I mean, almost – you almost want to go out that way because it's either that or you're going to live nine years of hard labor in Leavenworth. Uh, Moran dies penniless in prison, like we said, but he did get to see, all right, when we talk about the rivalry thing, he lost the gang war, all right? But did he win you know, or lose? No, he didn't really ever pull anything off. But the bottom line here is that our pal Al Capone, uh, he got dragged through the mud, all right? He gets uh, syphilis that leads to giving him dementia, uh, he's arrested. A lot of his assets and money is seized. Uh, he winds up dying of a heart attack. In uh, Alcatraz. And uh, it, well, it's the same because he went to all the worst possible prisons you could possibly go to. 
He was pretty much dismantled. The entire United States government came after him, okay? And Bugs Moran, you know, okay, it didn't work out quite how you wanted it to, but it must have felt pretty good to watch your fucking rival lose absolutely everything, everything. all right? And uh, as you were saying earlier, too, Bugs Moran criticized Al Capone for his uh, use of prostitution as a moneymaker and probably in his own life. Bugs outlived Capone. Bugs outlives right. Capone. He outlives Capone. And then also, you got to enjoy that moral high ground we talked about earlier where Bugs never got syphilis that led to giving him dementia. So Capone literally lost his mind. All right? I mean, I've heard it going crazy over pussy before, but uh, – <laughs> Okay. This is – I don't think he – oh, man. That's weird. I don't think he really seems like that much of a loser. Still kind of a loser, but not like – Well, uh, it's a – Not like a toe level. I was going to say we're grading uh, this on a curve. Uh, <laughs> that's right. So right. Uh, American like loser. Minus. Yeah, Bugs Moran definitely being an American loser because uh, he of the heights that he rose to from a very humble beginning to then crashing down to – I mean it just shows that crime pays but not for a long – there's no 401ks from right. crime. Okay, There's no health benefits after you retire. All right. Um, so Bugs Moran winds up dying penniless in prison but he does get to outlive his rival in Al Capone. So uh, you can have uh, – he never won the Super Bowl but he had a nice long career, didn't he? So that being said here, guys, uh, that was uh, – I want to say thank you to Mike and Ming for uh, having us over here at the studio. Uh, we're recording an episode here later today as well. Uh, Kahuna is going to be behind the ones and twos for that one, I believe, too. And uh, LP, I want to say thank you uh, for making me love history, man. Okay. Uh, and we're making the promise here on this episode. We left out a lot of really interesting history for the Bugs Moran character. The reason we were covering Bugs Moran today is because my friend Mike Gaffney, one of the best comics I know, uh, you might have seen him on Last Comic Standing. He was going to be our guest today. He had an emergency. He had to pull out at the last minute. So I hope everything's okay with Mike. Mike looks exactly like Bugs Moran. Okay, that's why we decided we had to bring these two guys in. Better to look like Bugs Moran than Jaime the Pole, though. Right? A- <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, so Mike looked so much like Bugs Moran. We wanted to get the two of them together and have his take on the guy. You know, because I thought that would be kind of fun. But we left out a shitload of stuff on the Prohibition era and the bootlegging era and all that other good stuff. And we are promising here we're going to come out with another uh, uh, multiple-part episode uh, like we did with the Tammany Hall episodes to cover and really break down some of the interesting shit with Prohibition because we just found so much shit, man. Right. So I'm looking forward to that one here. I want to say thank you to the Kahuna behind the ones and twos. Thank you, Dad, um, for being here today. And uh, that being said, guys, my name was KP Burke. Uh, Please, if you like the show, Subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, uh, help us out on SoundCloud, whatever you got to do. Tell a friend about it. Confront your racist uncle and tell him to stop being racist and start listening to this podcast. Yes, because that'll fix it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Power to the people. that being said, my name is KP Burke, and that was Bugs Moran, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born